Uh, let me get back to my boys here, Buzz Hargover and Eves and John Turley-Ewart. Now, Buzz, I was just mentioning before the break that you've got Donald Trump. You know, he's appointing Supreme Court justices. This guy Gorsuch has turned out to be a winner. He's like the federal court appointments are uh, the big secret. A lot of people say, you know, this guy's out of control and he's a madman and blah, blah, blah. But boy, it's going to be a sea change culturally. And one of those things impacts the unions because the Supreme Court killed mandatory union dues the other day. Meaning, uh, if you don't want to contribute to your union, you don't gotta, because sometimes these unions will earmark these funds for all kinds of gambits in the Middle East and blockading Israel and what have you and so on. So you got to applaud Trump for that much, no? Well, what, what they did wasn't exactly abolish union dues. In, in right-to-work states where the, the state themselves abolished uh, compulsory uh, union dues, uh, they did allow the unions to charge a fee for collective bargaining, as long as they could justify the fee for collective bargaining. And that's been uh, to a number of different levels of the court system. Finally, it got to the Supreme Court, and the Trump appointment made the difference, and they've said now that's Ill- illegal. So yet, I read one article that uh, says it'll be about a half a million less members uh, for the labor movement, but it's also going to have a big impact on the Democratic Party because they, they put a lot of funding into the Democratic Party. If you don't have union dues, you don't have fees. We learned that in the money. Ontario election, didn't we? Yes, we did. All right. Well, remember in Ontario, the, the Liberals actually paid for pizza and all kinds of other things for the collective bargaining process for <laughs> teachers. So they didn't even have to go to their members for that money. The taxpayer funded it. So, Johnny, what do you make, though, of this idea? I mean, this is the uh, they say elections have consequences and Trump right. with a Supreme Court uh, appointment. You know, it's playing itself out now in very tangible way in a real term here. Absolutely. And and so, you know, in the United States, it, it, that's a country where it's very much, uh, you know, built around their constitution and how you read the rule of law in that country. Uh, I think you'll see, um, you know, uh, these sorts of decisions around uh, the, you know, the unions. Uh, there's questions around uh, abortion rights that are being raised, and I don't know how much validity those have. But there's, there's no doubt that the, the Supreme Court in the United States is going to shape public policy for, for decades to come. And, and the question really, I think Buzz raised it correctly, how is the Democratic Party going to respond to this? I would say that the Democratic Party abandoned the working class years ago, um, and now maybe this is their chance to rethink where, where they stand. I mean, my view is have been, you know, the party of, you know, the latte sipper, not pack, uh, back, backpack uh, carrying crowd at, on university campuses, but they forgot about the blue collar folks. And I think Michael Moore kind of made that point as well and in, in his concerns. So, I mean, maybe this change in, in, in the Supreme Court will, will be what they need to actually start getting their stuff together, because right now they look to be in a shambles. Well, and veering further to the left, as a matter of fact, there was one uh, congresswoman who was elected in New York uh, in the Bronx, and she wants to abolish borders, abolish uh, ICE, the Border Patrol. And there's a story here that says uh, a person just climbed the Statue of Liberty after an anti-ICE protest. So, I mean, the whack jobs are coming out. It doesn't augur well. But to get back to the point, Ernie, I mean, if the union dues, you know, uh, they, they're not compulsory anymore. That's a real blow to organized labor. That's stateside. I mean, could you ever see that happening in Canada? Well, we have a totally different system here in Canada. In the U.S., they have what they call the checks and balances or presidential or Republican system where you elect the executive branch, the president of the United States, separate from Congress and separate from the judiciary. And their judiciary has a much more real role to play in making law than our Supreme Court, I would argue, our Supreme Court is there to interpret the law that's passed by elected members. 
But their Supreme Court, since its inception, has been very active in making law. You know, you can go all the way back to FDR, who tried to come up with various schemes to try and pack the court in his favor. This is not something that's new. Uh, many presidents have gone through it. What is kind of fortunate for Mr. Trump from his point of view and that he now has had the opportunity in a very short period of time, about 18 or 20 months, to appoint two Supreme Court judges. That almost never happens. And I heard him about a week ago saying that my appointee will be there for at least the next 45 years. So he's going to be appointing somebody young with the exact intent that this person will be there as a conservative voice on the court for many decades to come. So it's not easy to change the makeup of the Supreme Court. And there they stay until death. They death or or they decide to quit. Right. And unlike our court system. So it, it, it is a little bit different. And it, but I'm just you, pointing you, out. You dare learn to live with that for a long time. Now here, you know, we have a, a previous government who chose to look the other way when they were amending election laws and let not just unions, but various interest groups spend virtually unlimited money on campaigns uh, pro and against different political parties, leaders, programs that they didn't like. Uh, if you're going to have election laws that, in my opinion, that control the amount of money you can spend, you can't just have exceptions to that rule and they can go and spend as much as they want. Either have them or you don't have them. But it does have consequences. That's what I was saying. Oh, sure you know, it does. Uh, and Big so, consequences. What do we make of Doug Ford? You know, the first few days he's already started to implement some of his promises and policies. He's killed cap and trade. Uh, you know, the idea that you've got kids who would get free pharmacare under the Liberals or the NDP were espousing that too. He says, no, no, if you're covered by a private policy, uh, then what the heck, don't put it on the taxpayers. A lot of people seem to like what's uh, happening early on. He's fro frozen public sector managers' wages and that of CEOs. Buzz, you got to be a fan, no? Well, I wouldn't uh, call myself exactly a fan. <laughs> I do believe... I could use a fan on believe, a warm uh, day like today. <laughs> I do believe in giving, giving uh, uh, Doug uh, an opportunity to, to govern, and he's getting rid of cap and trade, but he's also talking about doing some other things that uh, offset uh, the impact on the uh, environment. I'm not sure uh, he can reach uh, that far. It's gonna, he's going to... The, uh, the, uh, First, public purse going to lose a lot of money. I'm, I'm told today $1.9 billion a year. Uh, I don't know how he's going to replace that uh, money. But Johnny, how's he going to replace that? Well, uh, where did you get the number of $1.9 billion a year? I hear Ottawa saying they're not going to give you the $400 million that they had promised. But the fact is, is that, that that's money that's just being sucked out of consumers' pockets and out of businesses' pockets. I think uh, you know people are very well aware that this whole cap-and-trade scam was really about uh, redistribution of money, and money particularly from folks, uh, you know, who, who drive uh, and who, who have cars and, and also, you know, the high cost of energy in this province, which is driving people out of this, this uh, businesses out of this country, and particularly Ontario. So I would argue that it's not going to cost us $1.9 billion. It'll probably save us billions in the end because it'll keep investment here and more money in consumers' pockets. I did, I did, that was not my number. I read that in the National Post. Uh, well, that's John, the money that was saying is one that the one point nine was cap and trade. Uh, the revenue is coming in on yeah. an, uh, an annual yeah. basis, and I'm also so he's well, most of that, that. Most of that didn't come from drivers. Yeah, it but that's from, a tax. It comes from sure business. But that's a tax. It comes from businesses that, it's were, a tax. that were polluting and no, it's buying not. credit. Carbon buying is not uh, from this, those who weren't. I mean, so this, this idea from. that carbon, like you know. Uh, 
Let's look, it, it, it's, a, it's a tax on operating a business is what it is, right? So you, you, can, you can choose a, a multiple ways to, to tax uh, industries in, in the province. Uh, you know, you can ha- we have a consumer's tax, a GST, HST, but, th- you know, this taxing of, of the, the expenditure of energy, which is essentially what it is, um, is created one of the highest cost jurisdictions in all of North America for energy. You have seen the collapse of our manufacturing here in Ontario. I believe when Ernie was was premier, it was 22% of our economy. Now it's about 10% of our economy. And there's consequences to all of this. And the fact is, frankly, uh, Canada has almost no impact on, on in terms of carbon emissions in the world. We're about 2%. Mm. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter. And you think of all the billions, uh, the billions that we've spent trying to do this under under the McGinty Liberals and under Wynn. When in the, in the meantime we have hallway medicine in this province. Sure. Our roads are a disaster. We have policing issues in in Toronto. All of a sudden, it seems like the mayor and the city of Toronto have realized, well, if we don't have enough police, I guess people go out and do bad things. I mean, like it's just gone off the rails. Well, all right, Ernie, how long is it going to take <laughs> Doug Ford to fix this? I mean, if it's going to, you know. Uh, dump in his lap. This is really, we're in a, a major hole, aren't we? Well, he has a huge task ahead of him. There's no doubt about it. So, you know, the same old saying, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a dime? Um, <laughs> there's, uh, first of all, the whole cap and trade thing. It was put in by the cur- the previous government to supposedly reduce pollution and clean up the environment, but it did nothing to do any of that. You were allowed, if you were a polluter in Hamilton or Windsor or Toronto, to buy credits from somebody in in California and pay a hundred million bucks or whatever it took to buy those credits, and you just keep on polluting. How how in the heck does that help the environment? All that's doing is creating creating an artificial quasi stock market for pollution emissions. That's what it's doing. It's just shuffling money around. I agree with John. You know, you've you've got to look at, are we competitive anymore? We used to have the cheapest energy in all of North America in terms of hydro, and now we have the most expensive in all of North America. That was unheard of a couple of that de- two or three decades ago. The same with, you know, gasoline prices. Everything keeps going up and up and up, and... The average hardworking family where both spouses are working, some of them are working two, three jobs a day. They have four kids. They're trying to provide for their kids. They're trying to make sure their kids get a roof over their head, enough food to eat, hopefully get a decent you know, post-secondary education. And we keep on hammering those people. It isn't the rich people that you're hurting. It's the average, what a lot of people would refer to as the working poor. They're getting hammered every day, and it's about time that somebody like Doug Ford came along and said, enough, well, you know, he, I'm here for the common person. He fired the uh, chief scientist in the province earlier today, appointed by Kathleen Wynne about six months ago. Some are saying, well, he shows he's anti-science, or does it show he just wants to be efficient and there are certain positions that are redundant or useless? I mean, we have we have so many universities and scientists in this province. Do we need a chief scientist? I mean, I would call that virtue signaling by the liberals. 
you know, let's let's appoint a chief scientist and we'll show everyone, you know, look, we've got a great scientist on our on our team. Look, you can walk into the University of Toronto or Western or Queens if you want to sit down with a scientist and talk about people who are working in the field every single day. You don't have to have them sitting at Queen's Park. All right. I want to come back and talk about, uh, well, what might also be a redundant level of government. We'll talk about that and a few other issues with our roundtable. Ernie Eves, a former premier and finance minister. Buzz Hargrove, formerly the head of the CAW. John turley Ewart, he's a consultant. Bay and Wall Streets. And The Oakley Show continues. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.